Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 692nd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson with Urban Farm U, and I am here with Miss Janice tonight. Welcome, Janice. Hello, Greg. Good to see you. You know, things always run better when you're hanging out. So thanks. Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you. Yeah. So I'm really excited about tonight. We do have the chat open for the live event, so you can chat amongst yourselves. For any questions that you have for any of us, including Scott Murray, who will be on live here after our pre-recorded video, please drop them in the Q&A. And yeah, I think we're I think we're there, right, Miss Janice? I think so. All right. So I'm gonna go ahead and well, do you want to read the description of our class? If you've got it there, go for it. All right. Let me give me two seconds. I will get it up. Okay. All right. So our class tonight is our fertilization through irrigation. And basically, what our topic for today is watering your gardens is a step is is a step that we all need to do. Fertilizing is just as important, although sometimes not as easy to remember. Both of these chores can be done in a variety of ways, and too many of choices sometimes prevent us from starting them. So joining us tonight, we're going to have our friend and mentor, Scott Murray, about combining those two processes into one easy step to minimize our energy expenditure and boost our harvest and garden health. Fertilizing with your irrigation is the solution to many gardening and ordering orcharding questions. Big time, big time, <laughs> big time. So you asked if you could read that. Yes, you could. And I read it for this video too. So you guys are going to get a repeat of that here in a minute. Oh, okay. But here's one of the things that we have found with regular fertilization. We used to say, fertilize your trees three times a year. Valentine's Day, Memorial Day, and Labor Day. And that would be like feeding your dog three times a year. They have to eat every day. Your trees have to eat every day. And I set up, um, you're going to see the fertigation system that I'll be talking about it here in a little while, that I set up here at my new place. It's super simple. 
And we are seeing extreme results when we're drip fertilizing people, you know, our plants all along. So, and the the people that have been giving us feedback on their fruit trees, it's it's almost mind blowing. Right. Absolutely almost mind blowing. So uh, regular feeding um, in a fertigation system in foliar feeding is so important, especially with the heat that we've been dealing with. So, all right, are we ready now, Miss Janice? We are ready. Here we go, and we will join you live after the video. Welcome, welcome everybody. Greg Peterson with Urban Farm U coming to you today with Scott Murray. Hello, Mr. Murray. Good morning, Mr. Peterson. How are you today, sir? Oh, I am on top of the world. Excellent. Great gotta, one. Gotta love that. So today we're talking about fertilizing through irrigation. It's got a funny name. It's called fertigation. And we'll talk about that in a little while. Watering your garden is a step that we all need to do. Fertilizing is just as important, although sometimes not as easy to remember or really know how to do. Both of these chores can be done in a variety of ways, and too many choices might prevent us from starting. Join us as we chat with our friend and mentor, Scott Murray, about combining those two processes into one easy step to minimize our energy output and boost our harvest and garden health. Fertilizing with your irrigation is the solution to many gardening and orcharding questions. Fertigation, what is that? Well, it's, it's a big word. That's a compound word from fertilizer and irrigation. So fertilizer in the irrigation system. Mm -hmm. And it starts out super, super simple. If you have a very small garden, you might make compost tea and or worm castings tea, like in a five-gallon bucket. Mm -hmm. We often use a, a cloth bag that will hold the, the stuff in and make it like a giant tea bag. Fill it up with like a shovel full of material. It's loose in there, so when we pull the string up and down, it moves around, but it kind of contains the particles. Not mm -hmm. all, but after two days to a week, you have extracted about 80% of the nutrients into the Oh, sludge. nice. And what you have left is a very nutritive sludge in the bottom of the bucket or in your bag mm -hmm. that you should always put around some of your plants, you know, share it around the garden each time. But then you have this precious liquid and it's a concentrate. So if you had a five gallon bucket, you'd get maybe four gallons because you probably had displaced a gallon of water with the nutrients you put in. Mm -hmm. And you might take that and put it in four jugs. In this case, you'll use it so rapidly. You just need to set it in the shade so um, it and and keep it capped. And what you would do is maybe you're you're watering your your simple little garden bed with a five gallon bucket, and you would put maybe a quart of this liquid into the five gallon bucket and then fill it up. And so you would be giving your plants. A, a dilute solution of fertilizer mm. each time you water them. Now, I have another friend who recently moved and we were trying to get his first vegetable garden going. Uh -huh. We started talking about, oh my gosh, we've got to put, a, you know, a dosatron, which is my favorite. All right, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in here. That friend would be me actually, that was oh. having this conversation with you. <laughs> And I called you and I said, what is this dosatron and do I need one yet? And you said, well, actually, no, because I know you have enough land to justify one, but 
when we got down to it, you, you really were just starting with a garden in a very small area, mm -hmm. right? And watering it with a hose. And so the second step up from just making a liquid and distributing it in the simplest way with a little can or a bucket to your plants is to put together a simple drip irrigation system, for example, or micro sprinklers to a little garden area. Maybe let's, let's just say it's 20 feet long. So when you said, hey, you know, what about this dosatron? I started talking about a big system. Like I've been putting one in on my one acre super high density farm mm -hmm. and it has six different sections and it has an irrigation controller so that I can determine which section I want to send the nutrients to and uh, very exciting. But I asked you, do you have a little siphon method injector? And, and that, and then, and a light bulb went on in my head that said, oh my gosh, I have one of those. It's called a hoson, H-O-Z-O-N. And it's it was brass... in a box, maybe? Exactly. Well, and I knew exactly where it is because, you know, when I moved from the urban farm, I stashed everything with labels on it. Thank you, Heidi. <laughs> and so I just went out and found that hoson. And it's... What, it took you probably five minutes to set it up. Yep, Exactly. And basically what it is, is it's a brass attachment that hooks in line on my main hose and with a little... It has a venturi in it, which creates a suction on a mm -hmm. side pipe. And they get the, it comes with a little hose that goes into like a five-gallon bucket of nutrient. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this one is, is what we call a set metering device. It's already set when you buy it, but it's mm -hmm. good. At a more complex level, the dosatron, we can adjust, you know, one to 200 parts per million or 200 to 200, for example, if we really wanted to put the dose of fertilizer on at once. But there's a couple of keys. Whenever we're doing something with an injecting system, the first thing we should do is turn the system on and make sure that it's all working. Mm -hmm. Before we start to put our nutrients into a leak that's going out at the other end and, and suddenly, you know, one, one spot in our garden got a lot and the rest didn't. So we turn it on and then, you know, we take a look at it. Okay, it's all working. And then, then we can in, add the injection section. You know, in your case, you just screw the hose apart and add this section in between and turn it back on, drop the, the suction line into your um, nutrient bucket. And then your metering nutrients into the flow of water for a continuous period of time until that bucket is empty. And you just have to keep an eye on it. And yeah. once you get a, a good impression that, you know, like halfway on with your hose takes 10 minutes to empty the bucket, mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't wander off and go to the store. <laughs> right. You pay attention. So this is a very manual system to operate, but it, it's a very labor saving device because it's it's individually taking nutrients to all the plants and when we put the nutrients in through the water it's actually a pretty smart way to get the nutrients to the plant roots to get them up into the plants mm -hmm. because what moves what moves nutrients in the soil water mm -hmm. when the soil is completely dry the nutrients can't effectively move they they get stored in the colloidal layer around the soil particles that happens in a living soil. Um, each little particle of sand develops kind of a, 
a gel around it that can hold nutrients and moisture and slowly release it. And so a healthy soil is one that's composed of air pockets for air to get into the soil, for nutrients to move, for worms to move, and then particles that all that can be attached to. And then the roots come out and embrace those particles and root hairs can extract the nutrients from directly from the soil by intaking them in the liquid. Wow. So this is how it always happens. If you're a chemical farmer, I like to say the old-fashioned way is organic because before we, we've, you know, my favorite thing is we, we look back at agriculture now as about a 60,000-year-old technology. That's not Mm -hmm. a very long period of time considering mankind's been walking on the surface of the earth for maybe 4 million years. So I firmly believe that agriculture goes even farther back. But if people ask, I tell them I'm on the cutting edge of a 60,000-year-old technology. Right. And so we advanced from putting nutrients into the soil like composted manure as one example. And we would mix that or add it on top of the soil And the water would dissolve the nutrients out of it, just like we would be doing in our tea bucket, and feed them to the plant gently. The plants eat like we do, in bites, not not in buckets all at once. And so it's a process of absorbing the nutrients through the root hairs. It's literally a cellular level exchange through ports called stomatas. And that, that's a everyday thing. All the time. All the time. So if you're only fertilizing your garden once a year or twice a year, you have we, a need to re- we need to rethink that. You have a lot of very hungry plants. Yeah. I'm blessed to visit a lot of farms in my work as a consultant. And the biggest thing that I see is hungry plants. Mm. And we have different crops. In my area, we have avocados, for example. And avocados are aggressive feeders. Mm -hmm. And the orthodoxy was we feed avocados two times a year. Then it became, you know, spring and fall. Then it became, well, we could do four times a year. Okay. But I kind of believe that we should be feeding constantly in small doses, very much how we eat as human beings. The plants are living just like we are. They respire they breathe Mm -hmm. in and out and they also need nutrients while they're doing that process right so what we have found out is that um, now with the research something that i've believed for my whole career is that avocado trees feed continuously and use water every day Mm -hmm. now somehow it makes absolute sense however and it's not just avocados. No, no, no. It's 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 all treats, right? All plants, yeah. all um, vegetables, all annuals. Everything. Yeah, everything that's alive mm-hmm. is has what's called the transpiration stream going on, and that is where moisture comes in through the root system. It rises up through the plant, and it's exhausted as water vapor as the plant breathes out, mm-hmm. and a large tree, I, I see some big trees in your yard, and a 100-foot-tall um, redwood tree has been reported to use 200 gallons of water a day for wow. transpiration. Mm-hmm. 
So if we have just an average size tree, like this, this research was most recently done with cherries, which really excited me because what they determined with cherries is that they could be irrigated every single day, but in just a very small amount to replace the moisture that they transpired in the last 24 hours. Interesting. And what is interesting is we're growing cherries now, right? And my wife has studied up on cherries and a lot of the commercial information approaches what I call deficit irrigation, where we don't like to overwater cherries. It's not good for them, but it's not good for any tree, though they're more tolerant than we believe Trees can live in standing water for a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Like in the Central Valley of California, in the floods, they'd get whole orchards that were flooded, and they might have two or three feet of water in them. And two weeks later, they'd absorbed all that water, and the trees were fine. But if it was there for a month or two months, it would probably drown them all. Yeah. So we need to get nutrients into the water, in and around the roots, so that the trees or our plants can have, I, I like to think of nutrients for plants as a buffet. I want the plant to be able to draw what it needs today. If, if I, I've had the blessing to go to a really beautiful buffet and they had pr- crab claws on it, and I was like, you know, I'm gonna park right here because this is my favorite thing, which I normally don't eat very much, very much but you need other things to balance it because right. that's very rich nutrient. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe a little bit of potato or something that, that can help your body with the digestion. So we think about the plants. I, I was talking earlier about the old fashioned being nutrients from the planet, which we call organic, non-synthetic, those things which we can get on the, you know, from the planet, like minerals directly from the ground, worm castings from worms, compost from animals and other nutrients. So when we're, we're looking at how to give the plant an adequate supply of those, I personally believe that it's best to feed a variety of food sources. Greg and I were talking about kelp this morning. I've been using kelp in my whole career because my mom started me when I was a kid on kelp tablets. These are good for you. I'm like, oh, they taste pretty salty. But then I learned about kelp and the average source of kelp has about 60 micronutrients in it from the ocean and fish meal or fish products go almost to 90 because the the fish has a different way of absorbing nutrients. Fish emulsion. So in fish emulsion, as an example, or in fish meal, which is a product made from fish, there are even a greater diversity. Now, When we grow with chemical fertilizer, many times we are limited to just a very few nutrients. You know, urea doesn't need any help to come on strong and give you 16% nitrogen. Maybe it has a little bit of phosphorus and potassium added in other mineral forms like sulfate of potash and potassium chloride as two examples. So right now what you're talking about is the macronutrients. It's That's the NPK. Those are the three numbers that you see on a bag of fertilizer. And those are good. I guess that's a question. Those are good. Yeah, yeah. However, here's the thing. I tell a little description of NPK. 
the University of California at Davis was in the 1940s, discovered the magic of chemical fertility. We had developed a process to, to make nitrogen, which was used to make bombs for the war. And we had a lot of factories left over that could make nitrogen. So they go, hey, let's give the plants basically straight nitrogen right into the veins <laughs> and, and they'll grow like crazy. Well, the first year they did it, it was phenomenal. But then they added fertilizer and the yield went up dramatically. But then it slowly leveled off. They'd be adding more and more and more, but the, the yield and change leveled off. Hmm. And so they were trying to figure out, well, what's wrong? Oh, well, we need some zinc or we need some boron or we need something. Micronutrients. Micronutrients. So when I taste a tomato that's been grown with chemical fertility, my taste buds are so sensitive that I can taste the fertilizer. It has mm. kind of a, a, a tinny or like aluminum foil on your tooth. If you've ever had mm. a big potato that was wrapped with, and you got a little piece of the aluminum foil, it, it's like, oh, that stands out. When I taste a tomato and it has a full rich aroma and different series of flavors going on, I know that that was grown either in very, very rich soil or mm -hmm. the grower was sophisticated in feeding micronutrients, the building blocks of flavor and nutrition, right? So with chemical fertility in the United States, since the 1930s, we've been testing the nutritional quality of our food supply. Oh and my gosh. It has steadily come down. And so... You know, if a head of broccoli might have um, 700 milligrams of, of iron per ounce of broccoli in the old days, now it's down to maybe 70 milligrams. Wow. And you think you're getting your nutrients from your food, but we need to put those nutrients into your food. So the most important place to fertilize, and especially I believe to fertilize organically, is mm -hmm. where you grow your own food. We were also talking about powdered minerals, one of which is called azomite. It's yeah. a more like clay. So it's a very fine particle that can be mixed into the soil and breaks down over the years and is another source of those essential minerals that are, are the building blocks of our body. I mean, bones are built with calcium. Where are you getting mm. your calcium today? Right? Right. So this is what fertigation allows us to do is to, to fertilize faster and more efficiently and more comprehensively. But I also want to, to make sure to tell people that I don't believe that just fertilizing through the watering system is the optimum. So I still feed my plants around the plant because I wanna build the biology of the soil to mm -hmm. receive those nutrients that I'm putting in in the water, right? If it's just pure sand, there's nothing there to hold the nutrients and, and give them to the roots in a slow fashion. So I sometimes, especially when I go into a, a new pr project that maybe the trees are old and very stressed, I do what's called organic urgent care. I'll feed the minerals like azomite. I'll feed kelp. I'll feed a mixture of a very high value organic foods and worm castings. And we'll put that in the soil, we'll cultivate it a little bit and build a basin to hold those nutrients there. And then we also can do a more reliable watering and not waste water. Here in California right now, we're in 
in a drought yeah. situation. So right. we want to make sure not to let water run away that we're putting at our plants. And also if the rain comes, a basin can hold rain or a V basin on the side of a, a gentle slope can collect rain from a larger area and direct it to a, an individual tree. This is the method. I have this great picture of a olive grove in Tunisia where the average rainfall is two inches. Wow. And they're, they're spread per out year. per year. And they're spread out wow. on this hillside in, in a very wide format, but they have these huge V basins that every drop of water that goes on that slope goes to a tree until it gets to the very bottom. So they're able to magnify that two inches of rain by, by collecting more of it and feeding it to each tree. And the, and the water is not lost, it's put at the tree. Then it becomes important to have a, a, a lot of organic matter around that tree because uh -huh. that acts as the sponge to hold the water and the nutrients. Yeah. So it's this complicated you know, pathway of things going together. But the real key is with the plants we want to, to foster, we need to understand a little bit about their personal chemistry. So some plants are on the acid side and some plants are right around neutral and others are a little more on the alkaline side. So I grow, for example, avocados, citrus and coffee and green tea. And those are all acid side plants. Mm. So when I'm doing my nutrients, I feature a little bit more towards the acid side in my selection. And then other things like the typical fruit trees, uh, peach, you know, they're more of a positive side. So we, we feature a little more to the alkaline side. Right. But other than that, every plant out there needs nutrients. A really great way to feed a lawn is to actually spread composted dairy manure onto it and rake it in and then water it in. And, and you might only put a, you know, in a square foot, it might only be a cup or two of this nutrients, but it's going right down to where the roots are of the grasses and feeding them. And that's what they're looking for. Yeah. Wow. All right, cool. So methods of getting that to them. We already talked about the hoson, which is a venturi system. Basically, it's an attachment that goes in line in your hose with a quarter inch tube that goes in my case into a bucket mm -hmm. and I put uh, five gallons of water in there and I add fish emulsion and kelp emulsion and a couple other things to that and as the water runs through the hose stir it up really nice as the water runs through the hose it wicks pulls some of the nutrients out of the bucket and puts it right onto the plant roots so well, that's one way mixes it in the water Mixes so, it in the water, yeah. So the, the this this is called an injector. Mm -hmm. your, your little device is the simplest level of injector. The next level is to get a little more sophisticated device, and and there are some that are more sophisticated, but the exact same design as yours. Mm -hmm. um, they can handle a larger flow, and then it gets to what we call the fertilizer injector, which is a device that's designed to meter and uses actually water pressure to run a pump. It makes this nice little clicking sound mm. as the water pressure forces the, the oh, interesting. piston up, which sucks the nutrients in, and then the piston goes down, and the nutrients get mixed into the flow. And 
the nice thing about the dosatron is they come in different sizes. So I the have, dosatron, the dosatron is a brand name product. Yes, it's okay. a it's actually a French company that developed this very clever system that uses the the energy of the water to move the pump. And in my case, I have one that's set up for three quarter inch flow because mm-hmm. that's that's the water I have on my farm is a three quarter inch pipe. And I used larger pipes for the distribution. I went up to one inch because of what we call friction loss, that when you have long pipes, every foot, there's a certain amount of loss of water movement and pressure due to just friction. Interesting. So, But on larger farms, like we're, we're working to install one right now on a 30-acre farm, and they have two-inch main lines, and we can get two-inch dosatrons. So we're going to use a two-inch dosatron in that particular case. And we create a, a very simple circuit, what we call an injection station, where our incoming water comes up oh. and it, it has a bridge over the top and a valve to shut the top off and a valve on either side of the dosatron to open it. So we can close off the normal flow and then we open the flow to the dosatron. So you just think about a little box. The water can go over the dosatron or it can go through the dosatron. And then sitting below the dosatron, I have a 55-gallon plastic barrel that the top was cut off of. And it was given to me, and it's in great shape. So that's my mixing barrel. Right. And I might only have to mix up 20 gallons in it for a certain application that I want to do. I keep concentrates of different things on hand, and then I also make teas and use them as concentrates. So, but now we get into big operation. Like I have, I planted uh, four and a half acres of coffee for a client on 10 acres. And it already had avocado trees. So we parallel piped it. Instead of expanding the old system with 2,300 more emitters, which would have caused it to go, whoa. Oh, yeah. We basically laid a brand new system. And then we we designed the blocks to be a size where we could isolate a quarter to a half acre at a time. And These are zones, essentially. Those zones or blocks. Yeah. And now on, on my property here, I have a, a nursery zone. So once that set up, my nursery tables will have individual spikes into each pot, and that'll be hooked up to the irrigation system. So I can put, you know, I can fertigate right into my nursery devices and right. even through my misting system which is like if when i'm growing transplants and they're getting to the stage where they need some nutrients i could miss them with with nutrients through my injection so that's that's more of a so what we're talking about with the dosatron and the hoson and these kinds of things this is root fertilization the, and what you're talking about now with the misters yeah. is foliar feeding right so interesting to know that, that plants can feed through directly through their leaves mm-hmm. and the efficiency of uptake of nutrients is about 80% and very wow. rapid, like mm-hmm. in hours. They translocate the nutrients into their tissue and you'll see an effect. When we go through the soil, the efficiency is about 40 to 50%, but we're not losing that other 50 to 60%. It's feeding the soil bio life. Yep that provides nutrients to the plant on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And we flood extra nutrients into the system. So 
the soil biolife is key to the whole healthy plant system. So we can use the dosatron as a, as a mixing device, and that can go into a foliar system in a nursery, uh, for example, on my farm, and then different sections, like I have deciduous and mm -hmm. avocado and coffee. Great. So we have the hose on. This is my little one. at home. And the hose on actually could be added to a drip system on a, on a small scale, which I'll probably end up doing next. And then on the other end is the dosatron for medium and larger spaces. But then we could just foliar feed. And I actually bought recently, uh, you know, you have the one gallon pumps. Yep. Right. Little um, sprayer. Right. And I actually bought a, uh, for my orchard, a backpack battery powered sprayer. Nice. Yeah. Wasn't too bad. It was less than $200 a while back. And so, you know, I can put four gallons in it and then just hit the orchards with that. Yep. Direct on with the foliar. So that's another way of getting nutrients to the plants. And typically we think about using that method to, to do pest control. Um, but, you know, to spray on like safer soap if we have uh, aphids. Mm -hmm. But we also can put nutrients on through foliar. And this is especially valuable as a tool if you have a plant in stress. Yes. You know, it's like, oh, what's the matter with you? Well, you can give it a, a what I call a foliar, you know, tune-up cocktail, a little mm -hmm. bit of your fish and a little bit of your kelp and spray it on and maybe put a, a little bit of shade up for it so that it's not in the bright sun and you're already helping this plant recover from its stress. When you said that it's usually used for pesticides, the spraying, but isn't foliar feeding also helping the plants become more pest resistant? Yes, actually. The number one thing that keeps plants pest resistant is being healthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and lack of stress. And so a healthy growing plant that has a proper amount of nutrition can be subjected to a pest attack if you go out of town for a week and forget to water the garden. Right. Come back and it's all, it's alive, but it's like, oh, oh, give us some water. We're stressed. That stress actually can attract the insects. Mm -hmm. We generally find that insects will first attack in a population of the same type of plant. They will attack the weak one first mm -hmm. and get established there. And then if they get a population built up, then they can cause really big problems. Yeah. But there's some information for today to inspire some questions in, in the, the group. Yeah. We highly recommend that you, if you're growing plants, you think about feeding your plants. <laughs> it's just the, the number one thing. What else can we say? That's it right there. All right. So we're going to take some questions. So I see Carl has a question about how we keep our drip lines from, from plugging up. And one of the things that's a very valuable thing is a filter in the supply of water because water systems, even on your own property or especially municipal systems have metal sections and rust particles become very fine particles that flow through to the drip emitters. Mm -hmm. and one of the coolest things is 
a company out of Israel builds a filter called Arkal, A-R-K-A-L, and it's designed, you know, to have water flow through it. But instead of a screen that catches the filtrate, it uses scored plates that are on a cylinder held together with a spring, and the water throws flows through the scoring. But what's cool when you go to clean the filter, you open the the chamber and you stretch out this shaft that the the filter plates are on, and you can hose it off. Da 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 da. da. But if you have a screen filter, they can get clogged to where I've been working them for an hour with a toothbrush to clean all the little fine, fine screen. Like a 200 screen is really small. Really fine, yeah. So filtration, we just started this on one of the jobs I do that has a 50-year-old irrigation system with metal pipe sections. And my team leader was pulling out little rust particles from the heads of micro sprinklers in the nursery. And, oh, okay, we got to put a filter right here. And now he cleans the filter every week, and he's amazed at all the stuff that's coming through the water lines. But um, if you're using drip tape, though, that kind of sidesteps the need because it doesn't—they don't clog, do they? Oh no, drip tape clogs. It has anti-clogging features. Mm. It, it, the sophistication of drip tape is absolutely amazing now. The mm. little tape has a water pathway before the emitter that is a brilliant piece of invention mm -hmm. that, but th those little tiny passageways are so small that very small particles over a period of time can clog them. And also with drip systems, we usually can open the end of the lines to flush out things that have, that have accumulated in the lines. And you'll be amazed at how much accumulates. Yeah. But Felix has so, a question. Go ahead. Hold on. So I really want people to please put your questions in the Q&A because there's all kinds of people chatting over there. I don't want to miss any questions. So we're going to start taking the questions from the Q&A. Wanda, you talked about compost tea. And Wanda wants to know what is the advantage to use compost tea over just compost? So compost tea is another way to apply compost. Mm -hmm. And you can not only use it as a liquid to the soil, but you can also do foliar feeding with compost tea. And then the remainder after you extract most of the nutrients is a sludge that is very useful to put around a tree. When we apply nutrients on the leaves, what's called foliar feeding, the efficiency of the plant for uptake is around 80%. When oh we apply gosh. nutrients to the soil, the efficiency for uptake in the plant is about 40%, but we don't lose the 60%. It feeds the soil biology, which continues to feed the plants over a much longer period of time. Mm -hmm. So, But then there's also in compost tea, part of the reason you do compost tea is because there, there's bacteria, there's microorganisms that grow in it that are beneficial. As well, yes. And so we can make make our, our tea actually a more potent fertilizer mm -hmm. um, by that process. And Gail asks about the hose on working with an automatic watering system. One of the problems is that mean, most fertilizer injectors, even the dosatron that, that Felix is asking about, requires human intervention. So they, the much more sophisticated systems that can automatically inject without human intervention are out there, usually not used. You might use the hose on, on 
to add to your automatic system mm-hmm. once a week or once every two weeks. And you can just plug it into the line and then run an irrigation that's not on your timer, for example, that that's your feeding irrigation. Well, let me, let me do this real quick. I Go went out while you were, we were playing the video, I went out and took pictures of my hose-on system. <laughs> so I'm going to share them. I'm going to share my desktop. All right. You see it there, Scott? Yep. I see so, it. It's coming through so really on, good. On the left, that's the hose-on. It's that's what it looks like. Implement. It's a brass implement. It's about uh, three inches long. Uh, the uh, On the bottom of the picture here, that's where the water's coming into the hose-on. And this is where it goes out to my plants. And I just use the a five-gallon bucket. And I put about, in five gallons, I just want to give my plants a little bit of stuff all the time. So I put like two ounces of all of our foliar products in it. I just, you know, do it my way. So I got uh, Heart, Soul, help me Janice, what the other names of them are. But I just put like two ounces of each in the five gallon bucket, put the lid back on. There's a lid back on it on the right. And I start watering out of that hose. And so every, every plant gets a little bit of fertilizer and nutrients every time I water. That would be heart, soul, essence, and noble gills. And heart is crucial of the mix for the soil nutrients as a humic acid, that is the best one to put in the soil. Soil is also a really good one, but that's really better for when you're doing the foliar feeding. If you have to give one up, that one would be okay for that because that's good for the uptake of the nutrients through the skin, so to speak, of the trees mm-hmm. and the plants. Essence and noble gills are the nutrients. Cool. And can you pop the uh, link for our foliar page on our shopping cart there, Janice? Cool. So uh, Scott's typing an answer to this question. Is it possible to use too much fish emulsion in a five-gallon bucket? I guess if you use five gallons of fish emulsion in a five-gallon bucket, that might be too much. I recommend 10%. You know, Packs? Because you're, you're taking a concentrate and you're making a concentrate. Mm-hmm. And then that concentrate is getting mixed with a lot of water. So the, the dilution. And, and even five gallons direct probably wouldn't kill the plants. It it is possible to burn plants with too much nutrients, but fish emulsion is pretty light in that intensity, but it goes a very long way and we want to stretch it by feeding it in small doses. Um, It's kind of like eating three bites of sushi or trying to eat the whole salmon. Uh, Right. Well, and I, like I said, I just do a little bit. I mean, in five gallons of water, I put, two ounces of each one of ours. So that's eight ounces. That's, you know, not very much. It's, it just gives them a little bit every time. And I, I noticed when I started doing that, the things like sprang to life. I'm going to be, Scott, I'm going to be doing a video here in the next week or so about my magnificent garden that I planted when we arrived here 60 days ago. And Zach Brooks from Arizona Worm Farm I interviewed him last weekend, and he he said, your first garden is your worst garden, don't forget. And my my first garden here has been a, a, a miserable failure. 
<laughs> not not a tragic failure, only miserable. Tragic and miserable. They sure. And it's you know, it's soil. It all goes down to soil. Here's an interesting one for you, Scott. I uh, Bonnie says I have eleven zones. How would I best use the hose on? Well, right now, if the if that's what we call a typical irrigation system that's set up, you know, to do those eleven zones for you, it's kind of hard to get the hose on into it. But you could make an adjustment to your system before your All controller that controls yeah. those 11 zones mm -hmm. and cut out a section of pipe. And when we, we install a dosatron, for example, we, we create a loop that goes over the dosatron where we can keep the dosatron off, or we can turn the loop on and the water flows through the dosatron. Mm -hmm. And it's a water powered pumping metering device Whereas the hoson is a very simple Venturi device, which is set by the, the little size of the Venturi. Mm -hmm. Whereas the, the, the Dositron for a more sophisticated grower, um, you can adjust from one to one to 200 to one. You know, so you could put a very small amount of your concentrate in, or you mm -hmm. can just flood your concentrate in and you can adjust that. Whereas the hoson is just set the way it is. Yeah, and a larger system like your eleven zones might be servicing kind of a regular yard, you know, and so they're not huge sections, not like quarter acre plots in a garden, and and a and a very small device could help you inject into those zones when you watered each zone, you know. It's like okay, every every other week on Tuesday morning, I'm going to water each zone with one gallon of concentrate for 30 minutes. So the first 10 minutes, we, we start to get the system wet. Then we put the nutrients on for 10 minutes and we suck all the nutrients in and those go out to the plants. And then we flush them out of the lines for the last 10 minutes. And you could you could reach each section or you could do three sections each time. You know, there's ways that you could make it work. But at a, at a more sophisticated level, you could get a small dosatron. Like the one I have on my farm is only a three-quarter inch flow dosatron because that's the municipal water line that we have. Mm -hmm. And I install a lot of two-inch flow ones, which are much bigger units for, for farms, like a 30-acre farm. We, we need a lot more volume of water through the system. But this is, this is one way that you can simplify and increase the feeding of your plants. And that's the real critical question is right. your plants want food every day, every, day. every week, all season long. You know, that is my biggest takeaway over the past three or four years. And what, what pushed that forward for me is the extreme heat in Phoenix. And once we started doing, encouraging people in foliar feeding, the trees just exploded. So I've got a few questions here that are in the chat that I, I don't want to step past. Carl says, how do I tell the plant is nutrient deficient? <laughs> I, I just taught another class that I teach. And one of my students sent me some photographs of a chayote squash plant, nice big mm -hmm. leaves. And there was a yellow perimeter around the edges of leaves. 
that's one indicator of a lack of nitrogen in the leaves. And the leaves of plants have this amazing facility. They put the nitrogen into the leaf to grow the leaf and fuel the photosynthetic process. But if there's not enough nitrogen available, they'll take it out of old leaves and mm. put it up higher in the plant to the new leaves. So it's called translocation. They can move the resource from one area to another. And then what happens is the leaf part that's lost its nitrogen or the green from photosynthesis in the form of a protein expressed as nitrogen to be more accurate, suddenly turns yellow, right? So when we see yellowing, it's one indicator of lack of nutrients. It can also be a stress indicator of of other factors like lack of water, but that tends to turn brown and, and dye the edges of the leaf. You know, they literally die. The leaf will get to be half its size alive. So watching and listening to the plants is, is our main Pay lesson. Pay attention to your plant, yeah. Uh, Carl also says, do I use this, do this fertigation once a week? I've actually, so I'm going to answer that and then I'll let you do it, Scott. I actually just use it every time I water. And a really low dose in five gallons is eight ounces. And I just, you know, let the system run and it fertilizes the plants every time I water. So I have a, a, a quick example. I, I'm in California where we grow avocado trees. And we used to believe that we fertilized avocado trees in March and October. March to set the fruit and October to grow the fruit. Mm-hmm. And I was always like, but the trees look hungry most of the rest of the year. And what I realized early on in my work is that the trees needed food every single week. But Mm -hmm. just as Greg was doing, in a relatively small amount. Because we can't eat a year's supply of food in one week with our physical bodies. And then go for 51 weeks to our next meal. Nada. No, no working. And the plants actually are the same way. And also with with moisture. One of the old traditions with avocados was every seven to 12 days, they would water for 24 hours. But the soil is very shallow on the hillsides, can really only hold two hours of water before you start running it off subsoil and losing. But then they're washing the nutrients away and letting the soil dry out and, and and the roots are very surface roots like citrus. And what we want to do is provide consistent moisture. That's why mulch is so powerful. And some of the food we can apply directly to plants like compost and other dry fertilizers. Mm-hmm. And then we can supplement as Greg with like a cocktail amount, just a sip of fertilizer. Every time we get water, we're never going to be looking for nutrients. We'll always have nutrients available to select. And that's one of the key thoughts. Cool. Let's see here. Somebody wants to know, where was it? Felix wants to know, where do you, where does he buy a dosatron? Oh, yeah. So Felix, um, the dosatron company is actually a French company. They're at the cutting edge of this technology. And a number of companies sell these units. There may be, for example, an agricultural supply close to where you live that's one opportunity to buy. I use a company oftentimes when I have a hard time finding uh, parts that's called the the drip 
irrigation company, you know, if you look online and search for Dositron sources, um, it'll bring you to the company. They have a U.S. website and a French website and all the other languages that they sell in. But also a lot of retailers like the, the drip irrigation warehouse I use. I use um, the different just, just, online retailers you can find. Yeah, just find them, find them online that way. Perfect. I'm not sure what Sue is asking exactly, but this is, she says, does this change your feeding schedule for fruit trees? Hold on one sec. If you're asking, Sue, if you're asking about the urban farms suggested, we have a process by we give granular fertilizer four times a year and then twice a month, the foliar feeding. So, and Janice, once you buy something in our shopping cart, you have access to our fertilization schedule. Actually, right now, if you go to urbanfarm.org and you go to the fruit tree section, there is a general store catalog that you can download, which good mm. portion of that is stuff that we can ship. Attached to the general store catalog is our fruit tree nutrition program. Now, the fruit tree nutrition program has a schedule for granular fertilizing, for drench fertilizing, which is just using heart mostly, and also for foliar fertilizing. We do not have a schedule for fertigation, although I do have a very good person here that I can tag into to get to a plan, Scott. Don't worry, I'll be calling you. And we will make up a fertigation schedule to add to our nutrition program. Yes. So does it change the schedule? If you are foliar feeding, you can stick to foliar feeding. If you are fertigizing, I think I just made that word up. Fertigating, but it's okay. Fertigating. <laughs> if you are fertigating, you don't need to do the foliar feeding. Is that correct, Scott? Well, actually, I would go a slightly different way on that answer. That the ground feeding is the key to feeding the soil, right? Like we put nutrients, like the, the granular fertilizer, that breaks down over a period of time and, and really supports the soil biolife, right? So your feeding hardly gets to the soil, but some does. Drench feeding is, is a similar mixture, but right on the soil. So it's three different modalities and, and the plants actually don't want to just eat in one way, right? Mm -hmm. Your four times a year recommendation of the, the soil feeding is very good unless you have a really aggressively growing plant. You might want to give a little more frequently, mm. but then you're keeping the plant's health at its maximum. Like I do my yoga and, and take a walk every day and you, you can't stay in condition if you only do it four times a year, once sure. a day, right? So if we are going to switch to fertigation, it, you would be substituting for drench it's it's an alternative to drench and there would there be go. some times where we would want to feed the soil primarily remember 40 percent efficiency to the plant through the soil 80 percent sprayed directly on so if i had a pint of a kelp liquid that i made up with like a, a teaspoon of kelp powder or liquid Mm -hmm. And I sprayed it right on the leaves of a plant that was stressed. I'm getting that right on it right away, but it doesn't last long. It, it absorbs what it can. It dries and it kind of flakes off the leaf in the wind and, and, it, and it goes to the ground. And it's not lost, but that immediate shock of 
uh, like taking cold water after your walk in the morning, you know, you, you feel it just running right through your body. Right. It's an amazing thing. Awesome. So plants are like us. They don't just want to have beans and rice every four, every three months. <laughs> They'd like to have a salad now and again, and, you know, maybe soup and different things. And that's the healthiest plant. And especially for our friends in in the extreme climate zones, which is now the world, <laughs> um, right. but especially Phoenix region, a weak and starving plant is not as effective at dealing with stress as a healthy and vibrant plant is, right? I mean, it just makes sense. If we're feeling lousy, we shouldn't go and do run a, a marathon. You know, maybe I'll watch it on TV and take a walk but 24 miles might be too much you know and and so we're always looking for that balance and our plants are living organisms as sophisticated as we are most people don't realize that you know but they're as sophisticated as as our human bodies are and i mean imagine you know living with your roots in the soil and you could be drowned because that's one place that you breathe from. Too much water can drown you. Yeah. Not enough water can dry you out. You know, everything is in a, in a narrow range, what we call optimal. And the best way for a cultivator to sense that is to develop their sixth sense of communicating with their plants. Yeah, you don't look so plants. good today. Right. You know, what's, what's wrong with you? You walk out the front door and one plant's going, help, mama, help. <laughs> And you say, when I come back from my walk, you're going to get foliar feeding. Right. You know, and that could be what it takes to, to deal with the stress and, and persevere and produce a crop. Well, thank you so much, Scott. This has been uh, delightful. Once again, to have you, we appreciate it. The real important thing I got a, my small farm business got a, a message from the Yale university food division this week. And they wanted to secure a supply of rice from me, Greg. Remember I talked with you about buying rice in advance this year because 80% of the California crop is not getting planted because we don't have any water. Yes. And they wanted to buy rice from me. And I did the exact same thing I did with you. I sent them to, I'm an organic, I want to eat organic. So Lundberg Farms outside Sacramento is the biggest producer of organic rice. They still have some rice. But they're only planting this year 20% of their fields. Wow. So what does that mean for next year? A lot less rice is going to be available. If you yeah. like rice, like I, I recommended this guy at Yale that I know that supplies, feeds the students. They want organic rice. I said, you need to contact Lundberg today and buy your year's supply while they still have some. So that's the way the food system is. If you're not producing some, you may be at the mercy of a system that's really very stressed and, and weakened by the recent events, drought, yep. pandemic, and all these things. So think in advance for your food and plant the things you love to eat, and then you'll get to enjoy them. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Pat says the Q&A window is blank because we've answered all the questions there, Pat. Also, I put a link in the chat, urbanfarm.org forward slash donate. If you want to throw a little bit of love our way, you can go to that link. It's it's a little longer than that, um, urbanfarm.org, yada, yada, yada. But the, the live link is urbanfarm.org 
forward slash donate. And any love you can send our way, we definitely appreciate. Once again, thank you so much, Scott, for being here. And thank you, Miss Janice, for everything that you do in the background. And tomorrow. don't forget about tomorrow. We have the author of this book, Just Grow It Yourself. You might want to attend this one, Scott. He has done all the academic research to prove that it's less expensive, less environmentally harmful to grow food in your backyard. And uh, he's, he's and, amazing. And, and, and far fewer carbon miles when you step out the kitchen door. Exactly. And walk he's got 60 the data to back. back it up. Yep. And he's got all the data to back it up. This will be uh, tonight was a chat. Tomorrow night is a webinar where he has a presentation. So make sure you sign up for that and find out more about that in your email inbox from us, or you can go to urbanfarm.org forward slash events. Um, hey, I just want to throw one out for Jewel. If you've already had problems with your filter, you need to think about just cleaning it on a regular basis on a monthly or bi-monthly basis. Cause you want the efficiency of your filter being clean to get your irrigation and your chlorine and everything flowing through. Mm -hmm. It can literally stop the flow of water. Yeah. Or fuel filter in a car too. Mm. <laughs> exactly. Thank, Thank you, you for inviting me, Greg. It's always great to see you, Janice. Have Thanks, a great Janice. evening, everybody. Woo hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, Hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago. Then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's denalicanning.com forward slash free.